This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, I'm featuring one of my favorite radio shows that was popular from 1939 until 1952. Now, you've heard a few shows from this series before, and I hope you'll agree the writing and the delivery of the text by respected actors is excellent at all counts. A bit of background for those of you who might be new to Theater of the Mind. The Screen Guild Theater was a radio anthology series broadcast during the golden age of radio, and leading Hollywood stars performed adaptations of popular motion pictures. Some of the uh, actors involved, Bette Davis, Jimmy Durante, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., uh, Clark Gable, and Judy Garland, just to name a few. From its inception in 1939, the program increasingly came to rely on adaptations of major motion pictures, presenting a considerable challenge to writers who had to compress the narrative into 22 minutes and fees that the actors would normally charge donated to the Motion Picture Relief Fund in order to support the creation and maintenance of the Motion Picture Country Home for Retired Actors. The first three seasons of the CBS series were sponsored by Gulf Oil. Now, with uncertainties in the oil market due to World War II, Gulf had to drop the show. And in 1942, the Lady Esther Cosmetics Corporation assumed the uh, sponsorship of the show. Screen Guild Theater over the years earned a total of $5,237,000 for the Motion Picture Relief Fund. And tonight, we're going to hear Errol Flynn recreate his film role of fighter James J. Corbett in tonight's presentation of Gentleman Jim. <laughs> presents the Screen Guild Players. The Lady Esther Screen Guild play tonight, Gentleman Jim. The starring players, this is Errol Flynn. This is Alexis Smith. This is Ward Bond. And this is Grant Withers. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in a radio version of the Warner Brothers hit, Gentleman Jim, based on the colorful prize ring career of James J. Corbett. Errol Flynn, who plays the title role in the picture, is starred as Gentleman Jim, Alexis Smith as Vicki Ware, Ward Bond as John L. Sullivan, and Grant Withers as Walter Lowry. The Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Gentleman Jim. (laughs) 
Let's ride it again. Come on. Dancing around like a rabbit, Blaster. Take a stance and fight like a decent man. All right, Harry. How's this? Look at that young Jim Corbett go. Oh, it's a footwork, I tell you. Yeah, and he's 30 pounds lighter than his brother, too. You're yellow, Jim Corbett. Stand still and fight. Oh, Harry. Ma never used to say, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it does me. That was a long time ago, of course, back in 1890 in San Francisco, when the Corbett's all lived on the wrong side of the tracks. And if you're wondering how a fellow like Jim could get in the swampy, swanky Olympic club, well, I guess I'm the one who ought to know. You see, my name is Walter Lowry. I worked right alongside Jim when we were both tellers in the bank. And one day, Vicki Ware came in, the only daughter of old Buck Ware, who'd hit it rich in the Comstock load. And you can bet Jim Corbett didn't lose any time. Well, how, how would you like this, Miss Ware? Large bills? No, all in silver dollars, please. Father's in a poker game over at the Olympic Club, oh, and they won't play with anything else. Oh, I see. Did you say the Olympic Club? Yes, why? Well, uh, this will make a pretty big stack of cartwheels. Do you think you can carry them all right? Oh, I think so. I... Well, as it happens, just about my lunchtime. I'll be very glad to carry them over for you. Oh, but I'm perfectly capable Oh, it's no of... trouble at all. I'll just change my coat, and I'll be right with you, like that. <laughs> I told you I'd get into that club. I told you I'd do it someday, Walter. So does the garbage man do it, Jim. He does it every day. Yeah? Well, listen, kiddo. When I go in, I go in through the front door. You're looking at a new member of the Olympic Club. You? You're Daffy. Uh Uh-uh. I got Victoria Ware to take me down to the gym. Then I talked to Mr. Watson. He's the new boxing instructor, you see. Then we put the gloves on for a couple of rounds, and, well, I guess he knows a boxer when he sees one. Gee. They've given me an athletic membership free. But but don't you have to be sponsored for that? Sure, I'm sponsored, all right, by Mr. Henry Buckware and his daughter, Victoria, of the same name. No kidding. Who talked him into it? Who do you think, the garbage man? Don't misunderstand me, Buck. This young boxer of yours is all right in his place. The only trouble is he doesn't know his place. Oh, Corbett doesn't mean to be a pain in the neck. It's uh, just a natural gift, like boxing. I see this is a social club. Let him take his blasted bicep somewhere else. Now, Jerry, Corbett's a type. You can't take offense at a type. Has he ever pushed you off the flying rings? Just play for life? (laughs) Or tickled you when you're on the horizontal bars? Yeah, stood in back of you when you're playing cards? I guess he is a little trying at times. If there were only some way we could pin his ears back, teach him a lesson. Oh, hello there, Watson. Watson. I'd like to meet an old friend of mine. Just landed in town this morning. One and only Jack Burke, former middleweight champion of the British Isles in Australia. Great honor, Mr. Burke. How long are you going to be in town? Oh, I don't know, sir. I'm fighting Jake Kilrain in Chicago next month. Next month? Jerry, what do you think? Uh, what do I think about what? Well, if Burke would put on a contest for us... With Corbett. See, that's a great idea. That is a great idea. We'd consider it a personal favor. And pay you a thousand dollars for your trouble. A thousand? Say, that's nothing to be sneezed at, gents. You want me to give somebody a good rubbing. Is that it? As you say, Burke, that is it. It's a knockout. Hi. How do you like that, Vicky? Hey. Corbett knocked him out. What are you so happy about, Dad? Why, I tell you, he's... A... 
Say, that's right. He was supposed to take a licking. Uh, I guess he'd be worse than ever now. Maybe I can tone him down a bit. You, Vicky? Oh. Well, won't he be at the reception later? You know, there's just one thing I don't understand, Miss Ware. What's that, Mr. Corbett? How can I be dancing when, with you when I'm supposed to be murdered? <laughs> feeling pretty good, aren't you? Oh, listen, I'm feeling fine. Yes, I'm quite aware of that. You have a beautiful start. Yeah, that's right. I figure if I can lick a former champion that easy, I ought to be able I to... I wasn't referring to your ring career, Mr. Corbett. I was talking about the champagne. The cha- oh, don't be silly. Listen, I can drink more, more than, anybody than anybody in the in world. The world. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, Miss Ware. What? Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, old boy, come on, Jimmy. Let's have some more champagne. It's free. Oh, I'm dancing now, Walter. Uh, Miss Ware, you remember my friend, don't you, Mr. Lowry? Sure, sure she remembers me, Jim. I never forget a life on my face. Mr. Corbett. He's having fun, isn't he? Yes, very much so. Would you mind if, uh, if we went out on the terrace for a while? Would I mind? <laughs> oh, it's mighty nice out here, Miss Ware. Hmm, almost like another world. Yes, it is nice, isn't it? You know, I've never thanked you for making all this possible for me. I mean, if you hadn't brought me here and sponsored me, I, well, I, I might never have seen this side of the tracks at all. Oh, there really aren't two sides of the tracks in San Francisco. There's just the lucky and the unlucky. So don't let this Nob Hill crowd deceive you. After all, we all started out with the same wooden wash tubs. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that, don't you? You know something? I've been hoping all night you'd let your hair down for me. I think you... I think you're beautiful. Why, you... How dare you kiss me? You impertinent roughneck. Who? Me? That was carrying your well-known nerve just a little too far. Why, what's the matter? I thought you wanted me to kiss you. I never said anything of the kind. Oh, I know you didn't say it, but you led me out here on the terrace, didn't you? And you told me not to be scared of you, didn't you? What was I supposed to think? I'd love to see some man knock your block off. Oh, well, you won't. Good night. Jimmy, come on, boys. Free champagne, drink up. No, not me, Walter. That stuff goes to your head. Oh, say, uh, Corbett, can I talk to you for a minute? Hi, Mr. Ware. Have a little champagne. Uh, no, thanks. Corbett, I, uh, I don't like to do this, but the committee has requested me to ask your friend here to leave. Why? What's the matter with him? Well, uh, shall we say because he isn't in formal clothes? Some of our ex-gold miners are very particular about form. Oh. Oh, they are, are they? It's all right, Jim. It's all right. Don't get mad at him. I'll go. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Well, Mr. Ware, I, I hope you understand that if he goes, I go with him. I'm sorry, Corbett. I was hoping you'd understand. Sure. Sure, I understand perfectly. I hear it's already cost you about a thousand bucks to put me in my place tonight. Well, I'm sorry if I disappointed you, but I didn't think you'd try to take it out on my friend. Why, I don't think you have And quite... what's more, if you don't like the way we drink, there's plenty of places to be glad to have us. Come on, Walter. I know a couple of high-class saloons. Oh. Oh, my head. Uh, Jim, you awake? Oh, I'm not sure yet. Where are we? Ain't I home? 
No, you ain't. I ain't either. Smells like a hotel. Smells more like a bar room. Yeah. yeah. Say, Jim, I think if I move, my ears will fall off. You see my shoes anywhere? No, but they, they must be under the bed. Hand them to me, will you? All right, if I can find them. Uh-uh, that's not them. You got him? Well, I don't know. Hmm. They got a handle on him? Huh? Oh. Oh, I got him. Here they are. I wonder what part of town we're in. Oh, don't ask me. Oh, my head. I don't think I was ever... Hey, Walter. Look out there, out the window. What? That big sign. It says, Salt Lake City Ice Company. Salt Lake City? Oh, how'd we ever get here? You, you remember riding on any train? No, not offhand. Say, you got your wallet on you? Wallet? My... Hey, it's gone. Oh, I must have given it away for a tip. That was mine you gave away. Oh, yeah. Well, how are we going to get out of here? Come in. Hi, Corbett. Well, everything's all set. Miller's raring to go. Here's your ten bucks. My what? My ten bucks? Sure. Last night you told me you'd fight Miller for ten bucks. Miller? Who's Miller? Big local pug. He's terrific. What? You mean that I promised to fight this guy for ten bucks? I mean, uh, when? Tonight. And I wouldn't have took you, but a punk named Murphy run out on me in the last minute. You gonna be there? Well, sure. I mean, where? Pri- private club or what? What do you mean, private club? I'm Billy Delaney, the elite sporting hall over on Tucker Street. You better be there early. I'll see you tonight. Oh. Well, Walter... Is our fair home. Oh, Jim, you're in no condition to fight. Oh, I gotta fight. I took the guy's money. Gotta fight. Besides, I can lick that yoko blindfolded. But, Jim, you're Ooh. not even a professional. Oh, prof- Say, professional? What's wrong with that? Some of those guys seem to do all right. Yes, that's how Jim Corbett turned professional. Though the world didn't seem to notice at first. The world was too busy applauding the champ. The big fellow who'd slam the bar and roar. I can lick any man in the world. And he could. That was John L. Sullivan himself. But little by little, Jim started to build. He had brains and speed and a Sunday punch. Joe Konski in 27 rounds. Jim knocked him out with a broken hand. Kilrain in six. Al Daly in three. Charlie Mitchell in eight. Jim was fighting his way straight through to the top. And then at last he was at the top. No one else left to fight except the champ. But the champ had his own ideas about that. And when it seemed his idea was to do nothing at all, Jim sort of took matters in his own hands. It was in New York, in the dressing room of the theater, where John L. was doing a play. Say, John, who do you think is sitting out there in a box with his manager? Oh, one of my challengers, I guess. Haven't I waited through enough of them tramps? This is no tramp, John. This is James J. Corbett himself. Himself? Himself? Where do you get that himself stuff? There's only one man in the world you can call himself. And that's the champion. Himself. Yeah, that's right, John. I was only... Mr. Sullivan. I was only trying to tell you... Stage manager. Come in. Mr. Sullivan, this gentleman would like very much to meet you. Well, uh, allow me to present myself, Mr. Sullivan. I'm James J. Corbett. Himself. Hmm? 
Well, I'm glad to meet Mr. James J. Corbett himself. Have a drink. Ah, thank you, sir. No, 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 no. I'm on the wagon. Don't tell. On the wagon, is it? On the wagon itself? Ah, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, well, I've been a long time uh, waiting to meet you, Mr. Sullivan. It's a smart idea, young fella. Meet me here instead of in the ring. Yes, Peter Jackson used to think that way, too. Till I changed his mind. And how long was it you stayed with Jackson? Sixteen rounds? Oh, come now, Mr. Sullivan. Why don't you just turn those figures around? You know it was 61. Uh, you know how long Jackson would stay with me? Sixty-one seconds. Oh, Oh, that must be why you've ducked him, huh? It's too easy. Duck, did you say? Duck! Say, I'll meet any man who'll stand on his own two feet. And if you had 30 more pounds on you, you'd be the first one. Well, I'll return the compliment, Mr. Sullivan. If you'd fight me, I'd just wish you had five years of it. What do you mean by that? Well, there's not much fun winning the championship from a man who's tripping over his beard. Beard? Beard? Who's got a beard? Why, you fresh brat, who do you think you're talking to? John L. Sullivan. Himself. I can make any man in the world. Except one, Mr. Sullivan, all except Corbett himself. Why, you little bitch! Oh, no, 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 listen, John. Get that guy out to him before I murder him. Get him out. Bring the newspaper boys in. He wants a fight, does he? I'll give him a fight. I'll give him a fight any time and any place that he wants to fight. <laughs> Esther has presented Act One of Gentleman Jim, starring Ward Bond, Grant Withers, Alexis Smith, and Errol Flynn. Lady Esther presents the second act of Gentleman Jim, starring Alexis Smith as Vicki Ware, Errol Flynn as Gentleman Jim Corbett. Grant Withers as Walter Lowry, and Ward Bond as John L. Sullivan. It worked, Jim, it worked. He's put a statement in the paper. Listen, I hereby accept the challenge of James J. Cobb to fight me the first week of September this year in New Orleans. For a purse of $25,000 with an outside bet of $10,000. Winner take all. I insist on the bet of $10,000 to show that Corbett means business. Signed, John L. Sullivan, champion of the world. Well, there it is, Delaney. You've managed me right up to meeting the champ. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now all we need is the 10000 bucks. Yeah. Yes, and that money proved mighty hard to raise. Jim was pretty worried as the days went on. Not that he showed it much. Outwardly, he's just as cocky as ever. And especially that day when he happened to run right smack into Miss Victoria Ware. Vicky, Why, I'm glad to see you. I'm surprised I'm so glad. No kidding. How are you? How are you? I'm fine, Mr. Corbett. And you? Oh, I'm fine. Fine. Look, why don't we go down to the town together? There's a new show opening at the oh, Empire tonight. I'm going tonight. with the Belmont. Sorry. Oh. Well, how about dinner? We're all dining at Delmonico's first. Oh, well, lunch tomorrow. Sorry. Well, dinner tomorrow night. Sorry. All right, going to be sorry Wednesday? My dear Mr. Corbett, I'm engaged for a month, every single moment. Yeah? How long have you been in New York? A couple of weeks. Well, you better not stay much longer. It doesn't seem to agree with you. I beg your pardon. You know what's the matter with you? You've got the social butterfly itch. 
My dear Mr. Corbett, I'm engaged for a what month. What amuses me <laughs> is that you think I'd go anywhere with you, is even that if so? I was well, listen, around. kiddo. When I'm the next heavyweight champion of the world, you'll be bragging to your friends that once I actually dance with you in person. Mr. Corbett. Miss Ware. <laughs> Happen, Dad. I mean, if Corbett can't raise the ten thousand side bet. Well, Vicky, I guess the fight will be called off. Mm, that's too bad. It's a pity Mr. Corbett has to miss such a good shellacking. I'd give anything in the world to see him just once, flat on his back, with all that ego knocked right out of him. And then? Then maybe I. What do you mean? And then? <laughs> Nothing. I didn't mean a thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me get this straight, Miss Ware. You mean you want to put up this 10,000 bucks? Provided Mr. Corbett never knows where it came from. Sure, sure. You ain't kidding. No. I happen to have a personal reason for wanting to see this fight. Oh, you're after some of that 8 to 1 Sullivan, though, huh? <laughs> Let me tell you, you'll clean up. You'll make a killing. Oh, I, I don't want it to go quite that far. Just far enough to enjoy. <laughs> Sullivan Corbett fight, the biggest crowd in the history of the ring. 30,000 wild eyed fans out to see their idol, John L. Sullivan, slap down another upstart challenger. Sullivan is in the ring already, fuming and growling because Corbett is late. There he comes now, dancing down the aisle as cocky as ever, into the ring, straight to John L.'s corner, a slap on the champion's back, and then. Well, hello, Longbeard. I see you showed up, huh? Why, you little. No one who saw that fight will ever forget it. In the early rounds, Jim Corbett using his speed and footwork, staying out of reach, giving Sullivan no chance to land his famous right, and the crowd not liking it very much. Cheering and booing and singing, too. Listen to him, Delaney. Uh, just tell him to wait until this waltz is over. Don't let him get your goat, Jim. We know what we're doing. Stay away from that right. Ten rounds. Twelve rounds. Fifteen. Twenty. He's tired, Delaney. I'm going to try to finish him. Don't take no chances, Jim. We're all way ahead on points. Yes, I know, but that's not the way I want it. I'm going after him. The 21st round, and suddenly Jim sees his chance. A hard left took him at a flock of jarring rights and lefts, and then another right with everything he's got. Not a sound in the place. The crowd holds its breath. John L. is hurt. He's tottering. He's down. Good luck, Vicky. You'll be telling your kids about this reception. The new king takes the throne. With all the pomp and glory. And does he love it? Uh, think it's gone to his head? There's room enough. His head's so big that... What's the matter? Look, Dad. Over there. John L. Sullivan just came in. Hello, Jim. Hello, John L. I, uh, I've got something here that... I wanted to give you with my own hands. It's my championship belt, Jim. 
I've had it a long time. Take good care of it, will you? Thanks, John L. I'll, I'll do my best. You know, the first time I ever saw you fight, I was just a kid. There wasn't a man alive could have stood up to you. And tonight, well, I was just glad you weren't the Sullivan of ten years ago. <laughs> Is that what you're thinking now? <laughs> Don't be crazy. That's what I thought when I first got into the ring. Well, now, Jim, that's a fine, decent thing for you to say. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's tough to be a good loser, but it's a lot tougher to be a good winner. But I do know that tonight I'm shaking the hand of the new champion and the gentleman. Well, thanks, John. I only hope when my time comes I can go out with half the friends you've got and... And half the world's respect. You will, Jim. Already they're saying that the great new age of boxing begins with you. Well, maybe, but there'll never be another John L. Sullivan. Thanks, Jim. Good night. Good night, John. Over here. I saw you come out on the terrace. I followed you. Oh, I... I thought you were pretty grand to Mr. Sullivan tonight. It's troubling you, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I can see him walking alone back to his room, lying there all night and staring at nothing, knowing he'll never pound another bar and say he can lick any man in the world. You like Mr. Sullivan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I do. And he likes you, the man who robbed him. <laughs> the human heart is very curious. How'd you figure that out? Oh, a woman doesn't figure things out, Mr. Corbett. She just knows all at once. Well, if you're that smart, tell me this. Do we like each other? Well, you like me all right. Oh, I see. I see. I like, uh, I like you, but you don't know whether you like me or not. I didn't say that. I think you like me more than I like you. But it wouldn't surprise me if... if I loved you more than you love me. Love? Us? Jim, I don't think you're very bright. I mean, any fool would know that... Wait a minute, who's a fool? There you go again, calling names, starting a scrap, just as well. What are you laughing at? I simply adore you when I make you mad. Oh, you do, do you? Well, come here, young lady. Oh, Jim! Jim. Jim, darling. You know, there's... There's only one trouble with all this. Trouble? Yeah. Ah, it was such a swell fight while it lasted. (laughs) Thank you, Errol Flynn, Alexis Smith, Ward Bond, and Grant Withers for a very delightful half hour. Well, thanks for having us. You know, I'm a couple of months late in accepting this invitation, but... uh, well, that's just because I just got back from a barn tour and before that, a little side trip of the Aleutians. You know, looking in on the boys who are stationed there. Errol, I know it would take at least that to keep you from joining the Lady Esther Screen Guild players. We all feel the same way. We're always delighted to come here because we know that the benefits from these programs go to support the Motion Picture Relief Fund, Country House and Clinic. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Design for Scandal. It will star Carol Landis and Robert Young. Be sure to listen. 
Alexis Smith can soon be seen in The Adventures of Mark Twain. Errol Flynn is soon to be seen in Uncertain Glory, both Warner Brothers productions. Ward Bond can currently be seen in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer production, A Guy Named Joel. Grant Withers can now be seen in the Republic picture, The Fighting Seabees. To try Lady Esther four-purpose face cream, get the smallest size jar. Later, you can get the economical large jar and keep refilling the small one for convenience. Truman Bradley saying goodnight for Lady Esther. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get set for spine-tingling listening. Inner Sanctum is next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Inner Sanctum and the episode, The Edge of Death. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. Here's your host at the creaking door. <laughs> Through these portals pass the world's most horrified people. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Did my happy medium startle you? Sorry, I keep him around to get in the right spirit, you know. <laughs> oh, by the way. If you feel a cold, thin sliver of steel across your neck in the next half hour, sit perfectly still. Someone's got an edge on you. (laughs) Gracious, Mr. Host, I'm afraid I'd have to move fast. Oh, Mary, you must sit still. You wouldn't want to lose your head. Well, I'll remember your advice, Mr. Host. But right now, I have some advice for our Lipton listeners. You know, a teapot can't talk. But if it could, I think it would tell you the same thing that I do about making tea. I think it would probably say... The most delicious tea is the tea with the most flavor. And I'll bet it would cast its vote, as so many folks do, for Lipton tea. Because Lipton's has that grand, brisk flavor. The flavor that's so different from other teas. The flavor that fills your cup with pleasure. You'll taste a world of tangy, full-bodied goodness in Lipton's. It's tea at its tastiest. So make that next pot of tea you brew at your house Lipton tea. And now here's a little tale of horror that speaks for itself. The Edge of Death. Written by Frederick Matho and starring Larry Haynes in the role of Ralph. We're going to tell you of a night Satan played a game of murder along a deserted strip of Manhattan's waterfront. For his sport, he chose two friends. For his victim, a woman. And the weapon he suggested he had long ago placed in the hands of another murderer. The weapon was a long, slender, graceful rapier, which first drew blood at the hand of Rasputin, the mad monk of Russia. Denton! Denton, no bread! Open up! Denton! Rolf! Rolf Vitkin! Well, come on in, man. What's the matter with you? You're soaked, no hat, no coat. Denton, you're my best friend, my only friend. You've got to help me. Well, I just got back from Chicago. I was going to drop over to your shop a little later. You, you go back too late. You could have helped me. 
No, it's, it's too late. Well, what's the matter, Ralph? What have you done? Well, what's that in the package? Why, it's the antique sword I gave you when you were married. Ralph! Naked steel always looks different. Coated with blood. Ralph, you fool! You didn't... Yes. I just pierced a woman's heart with that rapier. About 15 minutes ago. I warned you about your temper ever since we were kids. You almost killed me once, do you remember? You warned me about my hobby, too. You said I had a psych... a psych... Psychosis, that's what we psychiatrists call it. Your unnatural love of steel blades, your worship of ancient weapons and tempered steel, it... Well, it's off balance. There's nothing in the world more beautiful than a piece of true hand-forged steel. It's an art as old as man. Yes, I know. We've been over all that before, but... Now you're a murderer. I want to know everything that happened. It's too late, then. I only maybe, came... Maybe I can dig something out of you that might help your defense. Now, Ralph, close your eyes. Close your eyes and let your mind wander. Tell me the first image you get. Tell me every detail, no matter what. I see the wedding. Here at your house. The guests have left. Ingrid is blonde and beautiful in white satin. She's standing beside me. And you come toward me with a Denton. Oh, it was so good of you to make such a beautiful wedding for us. You are the best, best man ever. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe the best, second best man ever. Ralph was best today. Well, you gave me some stiff competition, Denton. I, I've got another wedding present for you, Ralph. Hmm? I waited till now to bring it out because I... I, I didn't think the others would understand. Here, open it. Well, do, do you like it, Ralph? Is it a good one? This is a good one. It's the most beautiful rapier I've ever seen. What, the balance and, and the lines. Magnificent steel. Look, look, Ingrid. Isn't it wonderful? It will be the very nicest sword in your collection, darling. As well as your last. His last? Oh, yes, yes, then. I promised Ingrid... No more auctions. <laughs> and he'll keep his promise this time. I'm going to change, darling. Won't take me long. All right, darling, hurry. You really like that blade, don't you, Ralph? Like it. It's beautiful. Where did you find it? Oh, I saw it yesterday in a small, junky antique shop in the village. A little Russian fellow runs it. Oh, did he tell you anything about the blade? I mean, where he got it? No, but he said it was Russian. He said the hilt was uh, black lacquer on rosewood and the steel was superior. Wow. Said something there. He mumbled out about wanting to get rid of it before the full moon. Something about it being an evil thing. Claimed it once belonged to Rasputin, the mad monk of Russia. Say, I wonder if it did. I doubt it. Anyhow, he finished by saying that whoever owned it would have evil luck and failing to get rid of it before the full moon would die by violence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it back to him if you like, Ralph. No, no, not on your life, then. But... Uh... Don't mention that nonsense to Ingrid, will you? I remember all that myself, Ralph. I left for Chicago that night. Now, what's the next thing that comes to your mind as important? Well, about three weeks ago, I was working on some knives in the shop. 
Ingrid had left, I was alone. The shop door opened and she was there. She? Who, Rob? Stasha. She was beautiful. Tall. White as marble. Dressed in black. And beautiful. I beg your pardon. What did you say? I'm sorry. (laughs) You said beautiful. There's no cause to be embarrassed. I have heard this said before. Um, What can I I do for you, Miss... Miss... Kossoff. Stasia Kossoff. You own something that I would like to buy. What is it? A rapier. A Russian rapier. I saw it in your window as I passed. It's not for sale. Oh, really? Are you sure? I will pay you well. Say, a hundred dollars. Sorry. Very well. Perhaps you might change your mind. Hmm? Here. Here is my card. Come and see me if you do. Well, thanks, but but I... (laughs) Shall we say, before the next full moon, Rob? <laughs> Ralph, if it weren't for that bloodstained rapier on the table, I'd say you were lying. How could this woman know your name or anything about the legend of the rapier? I know how. What happened then, Ralph? I've handled steel all my life. I've forged it, pounded it, tempered it, ground it to razor edge, and I've never cut myself. After Stasha left, I put the rapier to the stone. And as I worked, I I kept seeing her eyes in the forge fire, glinting with evil beauty. I kept hearing her voice. Ralph, shall we say before the full moon? I turned suddenly to see if she was there. And I tripped. The rapier fell and I fell against the upturned point. Ah! Go! Go! Rolf! Rolf, what's happened? Rolf! I'm all right. Pull it out. Straight out. Oh, no. No, I can't do that. All right, I'll do it then. I'll do it. Oh! Rolf, your arm is all blood. It's not bad. It just passed with the flesh. Called out to burn. Oh, those stupid knives. Why don't you get rid of them? While England phoned, it crept over me the deadening certainty that my fate was tied to Stasha Kossoff's. That death was lunging at us with Rasputin's rapier, and I was unarmed. I told England about the woman. I told her about Stasha's offer of $100 for the blade. I shouldn't have. And to turn down $100 for it... Ralph, that's the limit. Ingrid, I can't expect everyone to understand some things about my character, but I do expect you to try. I think I do understand, Ralph. I think you didn't want to sell that thing because you want that woman to come back. That was your first quarrel, Ralph? Yes. There were lots more. Things got worse. We quarreled a lot. It, it wasn't Ingrid's fault. I was changing. I kept thinking of Stasia. Her eyes mocked me. I tore up a card in anger, but I'd memorized the address. 
It was an old Dutch mansion on Litton Street. I had to see her again. There was a light in the house. And oddly enough, the front door was open a bit. I rang a long time, but no one answered. I obeyed an impulse and walked in. There was a coal fire going in the high-ceiling living room. It cast dancing shadows on a life-sized oil painting above. A cold hand gripped my heart when I saw that painting. It was the painting of a man in a monk's habit. And his gnarled hand rested on the hilt of a jeweled rapier of exquisite beauty. Yes, the man in the picture is long dead. But his mad spirit is in this room. It laughs from within you, Ralph Wittkun. It has seized your body. Stasia. You know... If I were Ralph, I wouldn't be seen dead with somebody else's spirit. You can't tell what will happen to a man when the, the spirit moves him. Goodness, Ghost. <laughs> that sword has certainly brought Ralph bad luck. Yes, Mary. It got him in trouble right up to the hilt. And we're only halfway through the story. Oh, yes, there's still a lot more excitement to look forward to. And I think looking forward to things is so much fun. For instance, imagine you're brewing up a pot of Lipton tea. Well, you know there's enjoy enjoyment ahead just as soon as that water starts bubbling in the tea kettle. The very sound of it is warm and cheerful and friendly, like Lipton's itself. And then when you lift that cup to your lips, oh, there's such a deep-down satisfaction in Lipton's brisk flavor because it's so mellow and satisfying, brimming with lively, full-bodied goodness. Yes, all those little promises of enjoyment are completely fulfilled in your first delicious sip of brisk-flavored Lipton tea. Well, you certainly have a point there, Mary. But now, back to Ralph Wiedkin as he tells his friend the events leading to the murder he's committed tonight. He's telling of his first visit to the strange house of Stasia Kassoff. So the Kassoff woman convinced you that the spirit or the ghost of Rasputin had taken possession of your body. And you fell for it. Oh, I fought against believing it, Denton. But it did explain so many of the strange promptings that had been stirring me all up inside. Did she say anything more about it? No. I turned to face her. She was a smiling column of white beauty. Sheathed in black satin. Miss Karsoff, how is Stasia. it? Stasia. Call me Stasia. How is it you know my name? What, what do you know about the rapier? Does it matter? You have changed your mind, perhaps, about selling me your rapier, hmm? No, I... I came to ask you about it. Oh, you came because you are confused. We will discuss it. But first, let us have some tea. Yes? I examined the room while she was out of it. On the wall across from the fireplace were five oil paintings... All of them portraits of men. At first I thought the light was playing tricks. It wasn't. Each face was painted with closed eyes. Each was a study in sleep. Or death. You like my painting? Come and sit down. We'll have tea and talk. 
Who are those men you painted, Stasia? The five men you see in those paintings, each own the rapier you now possess. Good Lord. Then they're... Dead. And the dates on the paintings? Ah, uh, those are the dates on which they died, Rolf. Each on the day of the full moon. Each kept the rapier beyond the time he should have. Morty. Stasi's eyes were eager and wide. My ears began to ring. I recall setting the cup down. I remember Stasi's voice a long way off. Russian cheese strong, my friend. And so are Russian legends. <laughs> this is all so fantastic, Ralph. Are you sure it wasn't something you... something you dreamed? Something I dreamed? No, she drugged me. It was no dream. Those portraits were no dream. The painting of Rasputin was no dream. They were there when I woke. Stasi was gone. The fire was on. My head ached. There was an easel near the lamp. It hadn't been there before. I shuffled toward it. There was a fresh painting on the easel. I stared at the face before me. Its eyes were closed in sleep. The face was... Mine. There was a date painted in Denton. It was January 15th. Or... Yes. Yes, that's tonight. I couldn't find Stasia, so I dashed out of the house, cursing like a madman. It was four in the morning when I reached home. Ingrid was waiting for me. She was crying. Rob! Rob, darling, where have you been? Why? What difference does it make? You... You've been to see that Kossoff woman. Yes, yes, I've been to see that Kossoff woman. Oh. I had to. I'm losing my mind, Ingrid. Something's trying to kill me. That woman knows about it. She knows how and when it'll happen. <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't care anymore. I don't care. Rolf, where are you going? Back to the shop. Back to that cursed rapier. In the shop, I tried to reason the thing out. I was toying with the rapier. It was a tiny green speck on the black hilt. Idly, I picked at it with my thumbnail, and the chip of lacquer snapped off. The hilt was supposed to be wood. But here, here was what looked like a large emerald. My heart pounding, I chipped and picked at the lacquer until bit by bit I uncovered the most dazzling and richly wrought collection of jewels I'd ever seen. Set in solid gold were pearls, rubies, emeralds, and a magnificent star sapphire. This was the bejeweled blade that Rasputin held in his hand in Stasha's painting. This was Rasputin's rapier. I, I returned to Stasha's house. Like the first night, the door was ajar. Like the first night, I walked in. I walked into the living room. I looked about. Nothing had changed. Nothing, that is, except that mine was the sixth painting, now hung beside the others. And the art... 
Diesel already had a fresh canvas. Stasha was already painting a new portrait. The face was indistinct. But the date was clear. One lunar month from tonight. I gave up and walked home with the rapier under my arm. It was drizzling and foggy along the waterfront. And I was sick inside. I kept hearing Stasha's voice locked in my brain. Tonight is the last night you may own the rapier off. But there is a way out. A way out? How? There's no way out as long as either of us lives. There is a way out, Rolf. Kill her and come to me. Tonight is the night of the full moon, Rolf. If I own the rapier, you will be safe. Kill her, Rolf. Kill her and come to me. Somebody's following me. A woman. I could hear her high heels on the cobblestones. I just passed that little blind alley. You know, the one about a block away from my shop. I decided to trick her. I stopped short. I spun around and caught sight of a woman in black as she darted into the alley. It was Stasha. And there was no exit from that alley. I tiptoed to the entrance and leaped into its shadows. All I could see was a large, empty carton against the far wall. She had to be behind that. I gripped the jeweled handle of the rapier until it burned my hand. Only one searing thought in my tired mind. Stasha must die. I took a deep breath and drew the needle-pointed steel back. Aimed at where I judged a heart to be. And thrust... I drew the blade out and her body slumped forward. I lit a match to see her face. Stasha Karsoff I had killed. It was Ingrid. My wife. Ingrid. It worked, Stasia. It worked. My plan worked. Ralph reacted just as I planned it. You mean he did it? A psychological masterpiece. He told me the whole story at my office ten minutes ago. He killed her thinking it was you. Well, now that she is gone, you are happy. You will love me and forget her then. Oh, perfect, perfect. She, she picked that stupid fool instead of me. Now she's dead and he'll die too. Oh, Denton, I'm so glad. I would do anything Everything for you. Everything went like clockwork. This rapier I found in your attic, the, the legend I made up, the phony paintings of former owners, your flirtation, yes. perfect, perfect. <laughs> the perfect murder, I've done it. Did my acting please you, Denton? Oh, you were magnificent, but... There's only one weakness to my plan, Stasia. What is it? When Ralph is picked up, there must be no way for anyone to find out that you and I know each other, Stasia. Oh, I know, and no one will know, darling. Ralph's fingerprints are still on this rapier. He'll be electrocuted for one murder. Might as well be for two. Denton! No! I love you! I'm Denton. sorry, Stasia! I love you! 
Ay, I will wait for you. You're in each stroke, Denton. Yes. I heard everything you said, Denton. But I didn't have to, I knew. No, don't move. The gun is faster than a rapier. How did you know, Ralph? Something I said tonight? No. No, something I saw. Stasha loved you. The painting I saw on her easel tonight, the one I told you she'd begun, was your portrait. The only way I knew was because, as an artist, she was conscious of the scar on your forehead. She painted that in first. The scar you gave me as a kid. Oh, you've a lot more brains than I gave you credit for, but at least we'll burn together. Sorry, Denton. I'll have to decline that honor. Ralph! Ralph, am I too late? Ingrid. Ingrid, no, you're... You're dead. Ralph! Everything you told me at my house tonight was a lie. No, Denton. Your plan almost worked. I told you the truth. Except, except for the part about murdering Ingrid. You, you should have studied psychiatry, Ralph. I did, Denton. I had a good teacher. You. home soon, darling? Uh-huh. You seem so far away, Ralph. Is anything wrong? No. No. I've been thinking about Denton. Odd the way things turned out. He made up that story about the rapier and its belonging to Rasputin and its owners dying on the night of the full moon. You don't believe it, do you? No. But what he thought was a cheap blade turns out to be a priceless treasure. It matches the one Rasputin held in his hand in the painting. That was coincidence, darling. Come on, now put your work away. Let's go home. It's late. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful night, Ralph. Let's walk home. All right. You know... You know that painting Stasia started of Denton, the one that gave his plot away? Yes. It had a date on it. I wonder what ghostly hand guided her brush as she wrote that date. Why? The date she wrote was today's. But there's a full moon. And tonight was the night Denton was electrocuted. Wouldn't you say that's a story which gets down to fine points? Mm -hmm. Happy ending, too. Yes, you get a ghost-to-ghost hookup between Stasia and Denton. Ralph and Ingrid get an Exhibit A worth a few bucks and go back to the old grind. <laughs> well, I'm glad Denton's plot didn't work. Yes, Mary, but if it had, Ralph would have had a plot of his own, you know, in a cemetery. After all, that's one of the best-selling plots I know of. Oh, nonsense, Mr. Host. If you think that's the kind of thought we want to leave our Lipton listeners with, you're quite wrong. Here's a much better thought for folks to carry away with them. Tomorrow, 
When you visit the grocers, get a package of Lipton tea. Buy it, try it, and see if you don't agree that Lipton's brisk flavor gives you extra enjoyment. Oh, yes, there's a great treat in store for you when you first taste Lipton's full-bodied, zestful goodness. Ask your grocer for a package of Lipton tea tomorrow. And now, friends, in case you're wondering, we do have a moral for tonight's story. It's short and sharp. Knife can be beautiful if you keep your temper and look out for people with an axe to grind. They may be trying to get ahead of you. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's inner sanctum mystery novel is The Pavilion by Hilda Lawrence. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another grisly inner sanctum tale directed by Hyman Brown and titled The Confession. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have an appointment with Stasia and Denton. Yes, they've got the concession for hand-forged hinges where it's hotter than the hinges of... Hmm? <laughs> Until next Tuesday, then. Good night. Pleasant dreams? Hmm? <laughs> And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Burns and Allen, followed by Nick Carter, Master Detective. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.